and gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Jones. I suppose I should start by uh, apologizing to you guys. It has, in fact, uh, been a long time since I got the Evening Jones cracking uh, for you guys. Uh, I'll give you a bit of an explanation for the time um, or why it's been so long. Is Honestly, I just had less time um, than ever. And... <clears throat> It's always been big for me to keep this going because I feel like the audience for this and like keep in mind, I've only like once or twice ever looked at any numbers for this. Like I don't do the Evening Jones is like a growth thing or to try to make money. Like we've sold a couple of ads here and there, but that's never uh, been the bag or been the reason why this is the thing I did. I've been doing this, I think, since 2011, I think is when we started doing this, you know, so for a long time and I feel like for the people that go back that long that I don't want to say necessarily that I owe them, but for the people that I go back with for that long, this is a kind of unique and sort of special space, I suppose. Right. This is for the people that, that kind of knew me way back when and all that stuff. Um, but when we started working on the pilot for what has become game theory, I just didn't have time like I had before. And we were done with the pilot, I guess I want to say in July or somewhere in there. And then, you know, we just started getting to summer or whatever. Then we get back in. And then just once we realized the show had been picked up, which I want to say was sometime in July and everything else, it just been a whole lot of things that were going on. So I had not been able to do this. I just didn't have the wherewithal at that point to like at eight o'clock at night, just be like, damn, okay, let's go talk for another hour. Um, so I just kind of took a little time off for it. Um, but given you know as we are doing this we're recording this live on saturday the 12th on march the 13th at 11 30 eastern um on hbo game theory will premiere your boy got a show on hbo i kind of planned to like try to do it even jones the day that stuff got announced but then everything just went so crazy and everything else but it didn't feel right to me to not get the party going again um then you know before we actually got to show up and i imagine that some of y'all have had some questions i've done a million interviews here so i don't know what in the world there is left for me to answer but yeah uh game theory hbo march 13th 11:30 eastern we come on uh right after last week tonight with john oliver on hbo i guess i may not have uh offered that part but uh on hbo and as i'm saying this my man uh, Eli said in the uh, in the comments, "Long live the Morning Jones," and you're damn right about that. And for those of you who do go back to the Morning Jones and when we were doing this, like for me, that was the most fun I ever had doing anything professionally, and it was certainly the most creative thing that I had ever done. Like I was really in a position to like put my mind to work on that kind of stuff, and had, I guess, maybe in a way, a different level of ambition about doing that. And so, like, I get to ESPN and, I'm, you know, you wind up doing a million different things for them, but none of it really is the talent. Like, you're not in a position to do nothing creative, you know what I mean? Like, most of that stuff was done around me and not that people didn't do a good job of it, but that wasn't really my bag. That wasn't what anybody brought me on there for. That wasn't what I was supposed to do. Um, and so now in this it's like turning that back on and like some of the energy and things that I was coming up with, like what I've had to say has been remarkably consistent or at least in my approach, you know, to all that stuff. But now we're talking about something different, man. Like 
I wouldn't have the energy to do the things that I did with the Morning Jones creative. Like we were making those mockumentaries and stuff like that. And I'd, you know, come up with those and write them and get the voices and, you know, get Shannon to, you know, to put them all together and edit it and all of that stuff. But like the energy on the front end, I just didn't have anymore, baby. I got a team now and they are so much better at all that stuff than I am. And they can just do amazing things, man. Like this process for me has just been real eye-opening to be able to just be like, yo, I got this idea and then see people come up with it and then come in there and be like, all right, so let's tighten this up a little bit. Let's work on that a little bit. What do you think about this? And having them come back, okay, well, this is the reason why we did that. Oh, okay, cool. You go ahead and ride with that. But this, this we can add, right? Like we can change this music, make it a little more somber and make it hit harder, right? All those kinds of things, man. It's like it's so much fun to, to be able to do it, you know? Now, I'm also like working two jobs, so it's a grind. Like, I'm not even going to pretend that part, but I imagine that March 13th will be the most gratifying professional day of my life. Um, the show and what I've seen of the show so far, what I've been telling people still holds. At this point, I'm the only person who can fuck it up. Everybody else around me has done their thing and they've done an excellent job. I got to go in there on Sunday and not fuck it up. And that's what it comes down to. And I'll be honest with you. When the last time I fucked something up. Like you let me know when you watched it. And it was like, damn, everything was great. Except damn, Bomani just didn't bring it. You remember when that happened? Because I don't. So with that in mind. I feel pretty good about what's going to happen with the show. Uh, in the comments, somebody's saying it's a live show. No, it's not live. We're going to be live. We're going to, we, we tape and then it goes over. I ain't about to be in there at no 1130 at night, sleepy as shit, trying to entertain y'all. That's just a ridiculous premise. Um, but we got stuff that we got to tape tomorrow. Like it's topical. You're going to be getting like responses to things that are new along with some things that are pre-produced that you're going to see in the show. So that'll answer that. Anyway, let's move on to your questions. Do you ever get nervous before going live on radio or TV? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't remember the last time um, that happened. Now, it's also entirely possible that this happens and it just doesn't register for me. Like, I tell people about the first day that we did a show, we did High Noon, and... I probably, like, in doing that or leading up to it, it was a big deal, and I was very excited about it, but I do feel like all these shows, once you get into doing them, they all the same. Like, doing a radio show for 100 people is the same as doing a radio show for a million people, right? While you're in the booth and you're on the microphone, it's really just you and the, you know, you the booth, I mean, you the microphone and whoever's on the other side of the glass. Like, all that, like, remains fundamentally the same. But I suppose that there's maybe a lot more that goes into it than sometimes I am perhaps willing to acknowledge because we did the first episode of High Noon and we got to the end and they said it's a wrap and everybody in the room started clapping and I immediately started crying. You know what I mean? So I don't get nervous, at least not in a way that I can feel or that affects my performance or that I start stammering or anything like that. Not about radio and TV. Now you talk about getting me in front of a room full of people. Okay, that can get a little bit shaky. I can get a little nervous about that. But going live on television? No. Um, I appreciate your question. I see in the chat room somebody saying, how unapologetically black will the new show be? 
And what would the Evening Jones be without a question that I didn't find to be utterly stupid? What does that even mean? Like, I'm black. I don't recall apologizing for that. Have I met the, the, the threshold for unapologetic blackness? Like, what, what, what does that even mean? Like, I see people talk about that all the time. It's just like, yo, man, it's, it's so unapologetically black. I'm just doing, like, what's mine. You know what I mean? Like, that's not really the sort of thing that I give a whole lot of thought to. And I, I honestly worry about y'all giving a bit too much thought to it. Like, sometimes those people that you think are not necessarily being unapologetically black in what they do, that's just who they are. You know, that's their get down. And yeah, everybody, I think almost overwhelmingly, everybody makes some measure, I don't know if compromise, but I think this includes white people too. Like, everybody that's getting on air or putting something out for the public is probably making some compromise. Like, when people start talking about um, being their unapologetic selves, I, we, we did a, I did a for a job one time. I did one of those, like, diversity uh, things, you know, you do on the internet. And it, it got to a discussion about, like, people bringing their full and authentic, self, authentic selves to work and, you know, how you have to make sure everybody could do that. And I raised my hand, and I honestly I asked her a question. I said, are you sure you want me to bring my full and authentic self to work? Because I think some of it you ain't really going to dig that much. Like, I, I am not a person that buys into this idea that you should be able to bring all of you everywhere that you go. Hell no, at least some of that shit at home. Come on now. You know that some of that stuff that's all about you needs to be left at the crib. I know it. You know it. We all know it. So, um, I understand and appreciate that there are people who see the way that I kick it and I think it's the absence of what most people will call code switching. And they're like, yo, man, he just unapologetically going to be himself. And I'm like, yeah, I actually think you could probably get away with doing the same. Like you might want to give it a try. And this is what I mean by this. Because whatever apology apparently these other people are making for their blackness, it ain't making nobody forget that you black. Like, whatever demerit that you're going to receive behind being black, you're going to get it if you come out here talking like Winston Churchill. That's probably just going to be what it is. So, yes, to answer the question, is this show going to be, or how unapologetically black is this going to be? It's going to be, I mean, I'm going to be as be me with the same level of apology that I suppose that you've seen from me, like, all the rest of the time. I'll let you decide if that's, you know, high on the unapologetically black reference. And John, don't be sorry. Don't be sorry. Nothing for you to apologize for. I just made an example out of you in front of people in a way that was probably a tiny bit cruel. And I should probably apologize for that. And in fact, I will. I do apologize. But I'm telling you, you could probably do more of that than you realize. Give it a try. Like, have you tried? Have you tried? Just give it a try. All right, appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Congratulations. Appreciate you. I know you're excited. Are you nervous or is it just like playing with house money at this point? Um, it's actually interesting that you mentioned that because uh, the young man, Tyler Tynes, wrote a profile of me for GQ. 
And I think it overall is a very good profile. And I like Tyler, know him a little bit. Um, but there was one thing in it that I, as I read back over it like a second time, that I was like, yeah, I don't know about that one, homie. Um, is he made some reference to seeing fear behind my pride? And I'm like, huh, I kind of wish you'd ask me a little bit more about that so I could uh, disavow you of that notion. What is there to be afraid of? Like, I ask you this sincerely. In the position that I am in, what is there to fear? Like, think about this for a second, for real. What is the worst thing that can happen? What, people don't like it? I don't actually think that's the worst thing that could happen. To me, I think that the worst thing that could happen is that the show not be good, right? And if the show's not good, maybe I would be nervous about the reactions that people would have to it, except for the fact that I would already know that the show wasn't good. There wouldn't really be any reason to be nervous after that point because I already got the bad news. Like, I'm not waiting to hear the bad news. The bad news is there. The show's not good. If I thought the show wasn't good and y'all liked it, I'd be nervous about the fact that somebody would be asking me to keep doing something that was whack. You know? But the show's good. I mean, the way I've been telling people in these interviews is I don't really know too much about what episode two going to be hitting on, but I feel like episode one a smoker. So, no, man, this is good for me. Like, this is, I got a chance to make six episodes of television on HBO, and just about everything that I see on the whiteboards and cork boards and all the stuff that I see in the office is something that started for my brain, right? I got one of my best friends in the world as an executive producer. I got, like, people I look up to working on this staff. People who have looked up to me working on this staff. People that are, like, homies but like somewhat distantly though, like me and Rod, like we cool, but we not like best friends. You know what I'm saying? I've seen Rod in person since I like, like six, seven years or something like that. You know what I mean? But we homies. And it's great that we're both in this same place being able to do this show. Rod, by the way, the black guy who tips, check it out. Podcast is dope. You know? Um, and yeah, what, what am I, like if it don't go well, what am I going to lose? Wow. I guess I'll just be stuck doing my really successful podcast. Okay. Like, like there's no money to lose. I ain't got no bills. I got a, a, a possibility of coming up short on or anything like that. You know? Nah. So, yeah, to me, this really is house money. Like, this is a lot of fun. Like, I enjoy going into the office. I enjoy the meetings. I enjoy the conversations we had. We did a table read today. Uh, for what we're going to do tomorrow and just being in there with 20, 20, 20 some people and we just reading this and people laughing and then people popping in and being like, yo, here's how we can make this different and watching the cat over there on the side finding footage that we can put in to make everything better and all this stuff, you know? I have nothing to lose here. I have the opportunity to do this and I mean that and I know that there's probably a lot of people who in similar situations say the same thing and then they go away and then they like cower about it and nah, that's really not the bag here, man. This is this is the chance. This is it. And if it doesn't go well, then it won't. But it ain't go it, it, that ain't going to be that ain't going to happen cuz I didn't try. And that ain't going to happen cuz I didn't give it my best. And so like I think about this almost in this way. Think about like 
how you know somebody who just like makes music. I mean, not somebody who just kind of plays around with it, but like legitimately makes music. They ain't got no big selling thing they're going to do on whatever, but you know somebody that's like, yo, I'm just working on an album. They ain't got no delusions about the fact that that album's going to go platinum or anything like that. Like they might do a few little shows or whatever it is, but that's just something they want to do. They want to make an album. They like making music. They like going in the studio. They like the process of all of those things. And that's just something that they want to do, like as a hobby of sorts. You know what I mean? Okay, so imagine you're that person and somebody calls you and is like, yo, how'd you like to make an album with us? And you're like, yo, that's cool. I like making albums. All right. Um, so you're going to be on the biggest record label in the world. And yeah, just put out your album. Now, what you could do there is one of two things. You could be like, yo, it's the biggest record label in the world. I got to make sure this thing goes triple platinum. Or you could be like, yo, I got a chance to make the album that I want to make. And the label's behind me. So this is more like number two. Like, no matter what it is, man, I get to put out a dope tape. I got everything I need in front of me to make a dope tape. And if in the end, all I get out of it is a dope tape, it's going to feel good to make a dope tape. And so I'm just trying to come out here and make a dope tape for y'all, man. Actually, let me stop lying. I ain't trying to make a dope tape for y'all. I'm trying to make a dope tape for me. And if it works out for y'all too, that'll be fantastic, you know? But I ain't about to put no bullshit out here. That's just not going to happen. It may not be a great show. Like, I've done shows that aren't great. I'm not going to pretend like everything I do is great. But I ain't never put no bullshit out there in front of y'all. And this ain't going to be no bullshit. (laughs) Like, that I know. That I know. You are going to hear the intro music to this show. And I bet it's going to hit you the same way it hit me. You may not use the same words, but I heard that intro music. And I was like, people going to hear this and they're going to know that we not fucking around. And that's the thing. We not fucking around. So you might not like it. And that's your call. I'm not even going to be mad at you if you don't, you know. But we're not fucking around here. So why should I be nervous? Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. With your humor and take on life and social issues, could you see yourself in a different life slash career being a stand-up comic? You know, that's kind of a funny question. Uh, Because of the dynamic of this show, which has a lot of comedy elements in it and we've got comedy writers who are working on it and my showrunners a guy steeped in comedy my executive producers all of that stuff but i'm adamant about the fact that i'm not a comedian like i think i'm funny but i don't think i'm a comedian and they seem to think i might be able to be a comedian maybe um but man that's a hard life man them cats is built different that's a tough 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 go I don't know if I could, because again, crowds, they affect me a little bit different than like cameras and microphones and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? But uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm built for that one. In fact, I think I know I'm not built for that one, man, because we was out uh, shooting something the other day. Some dude jumped up in our shot, like doing the robot like Chappelle. Man, I almost fought that dude. And I'm not saying that it's some exaggeration. I said something to him. He said something back. And for the first time in like two decades, I was ready to fight. Fully prepared to fight. And that's not a good emotional space to be in if you want to be a stand-up comic. People be saying all kind of stuff. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. 
Does it feel awkward knowing up-and-coming media professionals look up to you as you have to the legends before you? Yeah, I don't know if awkward is the right word. I mean, I think if you follow me for a while, one thing you know about me is that I'm awful with compliments. So, yes, there's definitely like a measure of awkwardness that comes with that. But the awkward really comes because that makes me feel old. Like, I'm just at that point now where I can go back and do the math on some of this stuff, you dig? And when I do, I'm like, yo, I guess I've really been doing this a very long time. I guess I am an old person. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like that. that's how it feels sometimes when people say this stuff. Somebody sent me a text because they saw my man James was working on the show. James used to be on the Real, Real House Husbands of Hollywood. And the dude said, it was like, yo, James, uh, I used to watch James when I was in middle school. James is like, huh, damn, middle school, huh? <laughs> middle school, you say. <laughs> Ain't that something? Yeah, so that's, that's kind of the part of it. But I do think, like, one thing I do know about me, especially with Around the Horn, which is such a big deal, and, like, like me getting on Around the Horn changed my life. You know what I mean? And I was, like, I was 30 the first time I did Around the Horn. And so there like i was really doing something different there like the way i was kicking it in with the people i was surrounded by i was really the one that was not like the other like yes i could see how a younger person might look up to me because i can only imagine like if you 12 years old how cool it looks that somebody's up there with a championship belt you know what i mean like i would be that guy that people of a certain age would look at in that way just because of how i hit the scene and where i hit the scene and what it meant at that time to be on espn and everything else um and I guess this is the way that I can put it. I've been doing this long enough that I can look at people at different points, depending on the shows and stuff like that, and be like, okay, yep, yeah, there is my influence right there. And I think a lot of y'all could do the same thing. I'm not necessarily bragging about it. I'm just telling you, like, I can witness it. I can see it. I can, I can see and know the effect that I've had and the influence I've had on some people. And I appreciate the fact that they appreciate me to be perfectly honest. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else you got here. Are you really concerned about your mama hearing you curse on your new show? Kind of. And so this is what I mean. What I would say about me and my mama and cussing on the show is, I think that a very good thing for me to consider while doing the show and okay so the thing about HBO is and I guess and I wonder if this is going to be a little different for later generations because for people my age like HBO was like the place on TV you could cuss you know you got a lot more cracking on cable now and so FX got people cussing and all that stuff you know what I mean um, and so with HBO, I think you almost feel like an obligation to get on HBO cussing because you can. And I think that there's a tendency, and I notice that sometimes in scripts, I can see myself doing it. I can see other people doing it. And you just wind up with a cuss word in there just because you can. And I do think the test of like, if my mother is listening to this or watching this is less about, oh my gosh, I don't want to embarrass her. But to ask yourself, do you really have to do that? Like, just because you have that option, 
do you really have to do that? And I honestly and truly believe that that'll be something um, that impacts our program positively, right? Like keeps it mature in spite of some of the like chances that we're going to take at different points. So yeah, no, I don't, I would like my mother to be able to watch and enjoy my show. But like, man, I ain't gonna worry about her. Nah, 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 nah. Her sensibilities are not, like her sensibilities are shared by a lot of other people, you know? And I can do my job and be as provocative and everything else as there is uh, while still doing something that my mama would be a bit more comfortable with. I mean, we're going to be cussing every now and then. Don't get me wrong, you know, but she told me she listens at the right time all the time now uh, while she walks. Like she started doing that in pandemic. And she said that basically it's a little bit less vulgar than the Evening Jones is. So that's a little bit more on her wavelength. So she had to learn about all these sports because while she would like to hear me talk about life, I'd be cussing over here while I do that. Appreciate the question. Let's see what we got here. I know that you enjoyed your times with Dan and Pablo, but is it more freeing? You know that this show, that this is your show and built in your image. And yes, it does. Um, That's not a judgment of either of those guys. And like even Dan would tell you, um, I haven't talked about these things with Pablo, so I don't know how he would feel. But even Dan would tell you that, yeah, this is Dan knew from the second he got there with me that I wasn't supposed to be doing that for very long. I was supposed to be in something that would be like, you know, built around what it is um, that I do. And I left from working with Dan and I thought the next show would be a little bit more like that, but it wasn't. I just wasn't what the, what the design of it is. And to be perfectly honest, the dynamic of doing shows on ESPN, at least like according to the type of show that I was doing is always going to be about like two people. That's what it's going to be. Um, and ESPN really ain't, I don't blame them for this. Why would you build a show where if one, if somebody leaves it, like you can't keep the show. You know what I'm saying? Like that don't add up. Why would they do that? Um, and so, yeah, I thought, and I think I may have said this in another interview, but I mean, I don't think this is in a particularly provocative statement. I thought that when I left highly questionable that what I needed was basically not to be on somebody else's show. You know what I mean? Like Miami wasn't my city. Poppy wasn't my daddy. And these are bad. Like I love doing that show. And I love Dan and I love Gonzo and all of that stuff. But all they did, they had a show already and they just pulled up an extra chair. Literally. That's all we did was pull up another chair. Um, And so, yeah, I I felt like I would always be viewed as like riding as a sidekick isn't fair because I never felt like a sidekick. I never felt like I was presented as less than Dan. I never felt like Dan treated me like that or anything. So I don't think I was, I don't think I was viewed as a sidekick. I mean, also, I mean, we had his daddy in the middle, right? Anybody talking about sidekick, right? So I didn't think I was viewed as a sidekick or anything like that, but I definitely was viewed as somebody on somebody else's show. Right? That's what it was. And I didn't want to be on somebody else's show anymore. Regardless of how good that show was or anything else, I wasn't going to be able to go that far on somebody else's show. Like, that was going to... Forget about ego. That wasn't going to have... My career couldn't grow under those circumstances because you'd always be viewed in the context of that person that was next to you. And so I thought I just needed to not be on somebody else's show when the truth is I probably needed to have my own show. 
Like, that's the difference. That's probably what I needed at that time, but that wasn't something that was available. Like, nobody was really truly offering me that. Well, I guess one company was offering me that, but it wasn't a very good idea. Um, and probably the scope and ambition of it wasn't going to be like the scope and ambition of what I'm doing now. It just wasn't. And I also don't know if like four or five years ago, I would have been ready for this. That also would have been a fair question. But like right now, this is what I'm ready for. Right now, this is what I'm doing. And right now, this is what I'm loving. Appreciate the question. See what else we got here. I've listened to you for 10 years now. Started while I was getting my college, in college getting my degree. This is the most flowers I've seen you accept at once, if any. Why is this moment different? Or how does it feel and why does this moment feel different? Um, I think for me, this moment feels different because, okay, I think I might say or make the argument that I wasn't entitled to all the other things that I had done in my career. But I was supposed to do that. Like once I got on around the hall and I started, you know, doing those things and doing more shows and bouncing around and doing these appearances, like I was supposed to be hosting one of those shows. You know, like I was supposed to be doing something on that level. Um, when High Noon came around, I was supposed to be doing something on that level. What I'm doing now is not necessarily something that I was supposed to do. Like it's not part of a like logical progression and i think also part of why i hadn't really on other stuff been as open and willing to deal with those you know with the like positive things that people are saying is that i don't know not that i didn't find those other things impressive but i guess i'm saying the same thing again i thought those were things that i was supposed to be doing this feels a lot more like an opportunity than it feels like the next step. Like I felt like on the other stuff, and I guess this happens to a degree with this HBO stuff, but I felt like to the other stuff, like people appreciated the idea of like moving up the ladder and what looked to them like, you know, making more money and all of that stuff. But this, this is just so cool on its face. Just by itself. Like, what the thing is that I'm doing now is different. Um, and I think another part of it is that around this, I felt a, a, a very unique um, sincerity um, to people just being happy for me. Like, I didn't want to get, you know, like, all of the ascendance and stuff. And I still have people be like, yo, HBO, get the bag. I ain't even thought of this ain't This ain't a money play. It's not what this is about. I got money. This isn't that. Is, but I feel like, I think maybe the better way to put it is, I felt like I went from doing, like, one radio show to another radio show. But it was still just doing a radio show. Right? I went from one TV show to another TV show. But I was still doing a TV show. Like, I was still doing the same thing just for a different place. And I think part of why I push back on the flowers on that stuff is I treated those radio, I treated those shows that were smaller like they were just as important as the ones that were bigger. 
And so, like, getting props for somebody else saying they like it didn't add up to me. Because it was always about how I felt about it. And my work and stuff is always like that for me is about how I feel about it. With all due respect, and I appreciate when you guys have nice things to say, but I can't live live and breathe, ride and die on how y'all feel about my stuff. I just can't. You know, like that's 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 just never going to work. That's that's a recipe for unhappiness on my end because you have the right to not like stuff. You know, like you don't have to like everything I do. I can't be dependent upon how you feel about the things that I do in order to like deal with my, you know, how it's going to be happy. But with this, I feel like people are like like I'm happy about the chance. They're happy about the chance. And I feel like and I've been doing this for so long now. And so many people have been around for as long as I've been doing it. I think that this has reminded me of the community that has been around me and my work for a long time. And I mean, how many of y'all in the chat room right now remember the last episode of the morning Jones? I was heartbroken. I was totally 100% heartbroken. And I was heartbroken because I felt like they took something away from us. I felt like a lot of us had found like a bit of a joyful corner. And we were all together. Like for people who don't, the morning Jones was the show that I did on Sirius and it was for this company called the score that was based out of Canada, but it was a different era of the internet. It was like at, just at the right size where like the people who listened to that show were my friends we met up in different places. I've been to their weddings. People met through that show and like got married, almost got married, all of that stuff. Like, you know, that whole thing about a family is a bit overstated, but like when we lost Stacy in Brooklyn a few months ago, you know, like it hit people. Like it was, it was real close and it was real tight in that way. And you can't really keep that up. Like doing something for ESPN. It's just a different thing. This isn't a knock on ESPN. But you, it's, you can't, I couldn't have that kind of intimacy with people anymore. And then all that, man, you know, like I was dealing with people, like playing on my phone, calling my parents' house, you know, and threatening them and like harassing like people I was close to and people I loved and everything else. Like it all just, it, it all made me retreat and a retreat that in large part I will continue to maintain because it stopped, it stopped being safe for me to be as open and accessible with people as I had been before. But when you do that, you also lose the community, you know? And like, there's a lot of people that I used to like with the morning Jones and stuff like they used to rap with all the time, or, you know, go back and forth with for various reasons all the time with that. And we just kind of lost touch. Cause the thing that was like the link between us was no longer there. I could start a new show. I could start a new podcast or whatever, but that community part had been gone. And I think with people hearing about this with HBO and the way that sort of thing just registers with folks is I think it was a positive and appreciated reminder that a lot of that community is still there. That those like bonds that had been developed in that time were still there. And that the spirit around my work and 
the kind of big tent that we had built. I don't think I knew how much of it still remained. And honestly, I don't think I knew how much of it may have been built absent of me. And I just wasn't there anymore because things had gotten so big and I just wasn't in a position to see it. But it has made me feel very good in this that that there's still love there. I don't mean like people love me personally or anything like that. I'm not, you know, silly enough to believe in that. But I mean, the love that a lot of us still have for each other and the ways that it all comes together and I can just kind of be a central node that brings a lot of really cool people together. I felt that warmth from people in response to this. And I think maybe another part of it is like, because I got James there, like, because I got Rod, you know, and cats like that in the office and people, I know that as I'm doing this, I feel the warmth of it. You know, I've been in this business in various capacities for 22 years. And this is the culmination of the 22 years. This is it all coming together. This is the people I've met, the relationships I've built, um, the respect that I've earned, the fans that I got, however you want to put it. They've all gotten me and my work to the place where this sort of thing was possible. And I'm fully aware of that and fully appreciative of that. And so I think at some other points where I may have been very cognizant about not believing the hype, because that's a big thing to me, is that, you know, you can't get out here believing your own hype. you got a problem. And I was very cognizant of that. Where we are now, this ain't about believing hype or anything like that. That's not what this is. This time I'm looking at it like, hey, man, what we got right now is really good. Like, I really feel like what we have for this first episode is really good. And I'm really excited about everybody getting to see it. I'm really excited about sharing it. And um, I appreciate the fact that a lot of you even think that this is something cool enough to give your time to, you know. All right. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. What has it been like staying off Twitter this year? Have you learned anything about yourself or the rest of us during that time? Nah, I don't think I've like gotten any depth out of my soul or anything from doing it. I just learned that I probably wasn't getting anything out of being on Twitter. Like one thing that's happened now is I don't know all the little news stories anymore. I don't know all the little jokes, anything else. And maybe it's just because I've had my head so far up my own quiche to working on this TV show. But I don't necessarily feel like I miss it. Um, I still have to keep a pretty careful check on my mentions because I just never know what's going on here. Like somebody tried to start some little controversy about me about a month or so ago. Um, and I did a TV interview one night and somebody brought up that little controversy. But I would have had no idea what was even going on if I hadn't even checked my mentions. I had just been looking back at Don Lemon like, what are you talking about? You know, so I still got to like check in a little bit from there. But the other stuff... No, nah, man, I just realized like this is not, am I actually getting anything out of it? Or am I just over here killing time? Now, while I say the hard part I did find was interesting is that I replaced like a lot of that time I was spending on Twitter with online quizzes and Sudoku. Like I did transfer what is probably some level of addiction into some other stuff, but at least I was keeping my brain sharp. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. 
When did you realize having a five head was better than being bald? Well, what happens is one day you realize she ain't she ain't pulling them up because of how much hair I do or don't have, no matter who she might be. So what are we really tripping on here, huh? Also note that you are probably too ugly to put your picked face in your Twitter picture. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. How involved were you in choosing the theme music? I picked the producer, told him what I wanted it to sound like, and he sent us a banger. That kind of involved. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Is the Adam McKay connection coincidental or is it a Meadowlark link? If Meadowlark was linked to this, you don't think they tell you all the damn time. That's it. Not exactly coincidental. Not that long a story, but this happens, Meadowlark existence or not. You may not realize this, but I don't work at Meadowlark. All right, appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Was having your parents, especially your father, tell you how proud they were of you the most gratifying step of your journey? That's an interesting question. So I think the thing for me is I've never thought my parents weren't proud of me. Right? Like I'm not one of those, like I don't have the relationship with them where like hearing my parents say they were proud of me it's just like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. But um, if you check the last episode of The Evening Jones, you'll know what we're talking I mean, about. At the right time, you know what we're talking about. If not, this won't make no sense to you, but whatever. Go listen to the episode. Um, but did I expect to, like, start crying at that point? No, I did not. Um, what I've been telling people about that, and I think this is it. I could be wrong. But um, somebody did interview with me and asked how proud my parents were about, you know, this happening. And I told them, and I told the guy this, and I mean it. It's like, if I decided to be a garbage man and I became the king of the garbage man, my parents would be proud of me because I decided that's what I was going to do and I did it. You know, like, I don't think. I don't think about the way my parents feel about me relative to the things that I do and accomplish. That's just not something I consider. Like, I think my parents love me just because that's what it is. And that's what it's always been. And so I don't think about making them proud because I've just, I've been fortunate enough to have parents that always have put me in a position to feel like I've made them proud. Um, but I think part of it, there and especially as my parents have gotten older and like seeing them has changed and the relationship has changed to a degree and everything else it's not even so much that they're proud as much as it is they're really excited about this show (laughs) you know what I mean like that I think is the wildest part of it like my parents enjoy my content and they're really 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 looking forward to just seeing it I think as viewers as much as they are as parents but it it hit me like just kind of in that moment that 
in the moments of mine that felt like failure. I don't think they were any less proud of me then than they are now. And I think that's the biggest thing is that kind of somehow in almost backwards way, this happening now as it has, has just given me a much greater appreciation for other times. So yeah, I think that's, I don't know if gratifying is the way to put it, but it made me realize like kind of how tall they stood for me when it wasn't looking like this and their belief that it would look like something like this eventually. It just wasn't going to look like that in economics. Appreciate your question. Let's see what else we got here. How rewarding has it been to work with your friends as you've grown professionally? That, my brother, depends on who the friend is. Um, working with friends is a bit of a mixed bag. Just because you're going to get to know your friend differently working with them than you had previously. That's just what it's going to be. Like, Pablo and I were friends, worked with him, learned a bunch of stuff about him that I didn't realize. Um, working with, like, James, working with James is a little bit different because I know James in a different sort of way. And our relationship has always been somewhat hierarchical. And just because, like, he's my little brother. I've been calling him my little brother for 20 years. He's my little brother. So, like, that's there. You know what I mean? And so it, that helps guide our back and forths. But my little brother knows when to tell me I'm wrong about something. And I'm going to listen to him. Because I know for him to be willing to do that, he must really mean it. You know? Um, so, like, what's gratifying about doing this with James, that's a little different. As I always talk about, as I was trying to stop James from like dropping out of school, I'd make him come to my apartment and do homework. Meanwhile, I'm over there doing homework, trying to stop myself from dropping out of school. I don't think he realized that second part, but I did, you know, like I was there for him, but I also don't think he realized in a way he was there for me as I was trying to figure that out. And so I was there when his road was a little bumpy. And so I'm in a position to look at him and see like how much he's grown as a man and how essential he's been to the process. And so that's a that's a whole different kind of reward from working with your friends. It's very particular to the relationship um, that he and I have. And for him, it's rewarding to be able to be here to support me and look at the experiences that he's been through and help prevent me from having to deal with those things, which is like a flip on the little brother, big brother situation because it's normally a big brother doing that, but he's doing that in the reverse. So that's a whole different reward that's been wonderful and fantastic and all of those things um, in every way. But again, it depends on who the friend is and what the dynamic is. All right, appreciate the question. Let me see if we got anything else here that I'm... Uh hit before I start laying this down. I got a big day tomorrow. You may have heard. What has been the most exciting thing about the process of having a show on HBO? So, like, there are things involved with the show itself that have been wild exciting, and I don't want to tell you because I don't want to ruin any surprises. But, not actually involved the production of the show the answer is absolutely the phone call I had with John Oliver. Like, they told me one day that John was going to be kind enough to answer some questions and give me some advice or whatever if I had it. 
And I think he was supposed to call me at 10 o'clock one morning. And I swear to God, he called me at 10 colon zero zero colon zero zero point zero 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 one. That man is punctual, I tell you. Punctual. And talking to him was really just like talking to John Oliver. It was like the John Oliver on TV was on the phone. But it was great. And he gave me great advice and all of that stuff. But I don't know why. That just tickled me. I was gassed. I was telling him I was getting my own episode of last week tonight. He was explaining stuff to me and everything. All right, let me see what else we got here. What parts of your personality do you attribute to your mother and your father? Maybe I'm just like my father, too bold. Maybe I'm just like my mother. She's never satisfied. I'm only kind of joking. Appreciate the question. Next one here, Atlanta Constitution Journal. I think you mean Atlanta Journal Constitution. Calling you a native. They must not know. Uh, you need to look up what native means. I grew up in Houston, but I am a native of Atlanta. How does one schedule a Zoom meeting or phone call with you? To do what? Is this some kind of freaky porno stuff? All right, I think I'm going to get one more question in if I can find one I feel like, and then I'll get on with my evening. With the new show on HBO, is it finally time to get that harp? I ain't forgot about the harp. I just want you to know, all of you, that I ain't forgot about the harp. But let me tell you something. If you're asking me if I'm still going to get a harp, I can only assume that you have never lived in New York City. For me to get harp space, I would have to move to New Jersey. And I wouldn't even do that for the harp. But, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Evening Jones. Uh, wow, I've forgotten all the stuff that I normally say here. Uh, thanks for joining us here on The Evening Jones. My man Lance Gilliam handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. If you can't check The Evening Jones live, check us out wherever you get your podcast. Something, 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 da, da, da. Take it easy. March 13th, 11.30, HBO. Also on HBO Max, Game Theory. The Evening Jones is an old soul production. Creative direction and design is provided by Kareem Gilliam for Oh My's Creative Design.